It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Jay is going to be the Josh Jeffrey Show. He's going to be teaching us all about the wonderful world of programming. But real quickly before we dive into this, we got a couple things we need to plug. T-shirts. We got T-shirts. Check the show notes. Get those. Um, we appreciate y'all buying those. And, um, you know, post your pics. Put on Instagram. Give us a tag. And you got a couple body tippering courses coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. One, so pretty, we're, uh, pretty sweet. Too. Yeah, so we're, I'm going to uh, Des Moines, Iowa. So the great state of Iowa. Never been. Um, going to go to Iowa in a couple weeks. Um, that one's a private course. So we do private courses as well where, like, we'll go out to a specific facility and work mm-hmm. with you know, all of their individuals, and they can also have people from the community come too. Um, but then we got a couple of public ones. Our first public one since January of 2020. Um, you know, the, with the whole COVID stuff, we kind of pushed it off, and we have public ones here in Columbia on the 1st of May. And then we're in, uh, a couple weeks later, we're in Texas. We're at Onnit um, in the middle of May, May 15th. That's going to be super fun. Austin, Texas. South Carolina, Texas. Two open states, man. Love, there we go. Love having there we freedom. Go. Yeah. Uh, and and <laughs> Onnit Studios, right? That's a.k.a. the, the home of Joe Rogan. So <laughs> the, mission, the, mission is, the mission is Joe Rogan podcast. I'm going to get on. If, I, if there was any hope of getting on there, I'm going to be sure to mention the fact that like, Joe, by the way, I also have a super successful podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> and he's He's going to look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> All right, Josh. Well, uh, let's get into this. I mean, uh, we got a couple students here joining us. We got Anna, not Anna, Kelly, and <laughs> Jeffrey as well, too, from Methodist and South College. So um, I think the, the intent was we were going to do a little discussion. You were going to do a discussion yeah. about programming well, with hey, the students. I mean, and we decided all- we just... Yeah. Record the mic and fire it up, you know. Well, all the the more the more input, the better. I know Amy's also with us too, in here hanging out. And we're uh, so I think part of uh, with Jeff and, and Anna being here on their rotation is we wanted to include a little bit more of the whole picture of what we do. And part of it is working with um, athletes, uh, you know, of all ability levels. I think I'm going to start with uh, my thought process today when I was going to talk with Jeff earlier. We decided to turn this into a little bit of an episode was to talk more about. Starting on like your higher in person a little bit and have a little fun there uh, in terms of what this the assessment process might look like for uh, for somebody that comes in that's already you know more accomplished and mainly from what we do a lot of times when I'm talking about this it's somebody that wants to compete in say the sport of fitness and the sport of CrossFit um, and those principles are not going to be the same for every person that comes through a door uh, but there's definitely some carryover but uh, your assessment the biggest thing that I can drive home is that it needs to be individualized to the person you know having one set assessment doesn't necessarily make sense or isn't going to provide you great information on every single person that comes through the door. So I try to take 
the person's goals, their background, their history, you know, all the stuff that we've already talked about in terms of like a consultation with that person to, to figure out what that assessment is going to look like. And I equate it very much to like uh, how an evaluation would go in the clinic of where, you know, you go through more of your subjective, per, um, you know, subjective portion of the examination and then you design what your objective is. It's not this person comes in with back pain, so I have a back pain a, a objective examination and I do the exact same thing every time regardless of presentation. I think it's the same thing for an athlete. So for me, I have to look at, well, what are the demands of what they are trying to do? And so in the sport of fitness, that's uh, it's unknown and unknowable, but we know a lot about what they have to do, right? So uh, we kind of have an idea of what, uh, you know, what they need to be able to do to compete at whatever level it is that they want to get to. Uh, and, and I'm trying to figure out where they are on that spectrum. Uh, and I'm using data, you know, available data from the field. Um, and uh, you know to basically compare them to the people that we compete against, but also using some of their numbers to, to make comparisons to themselves in different ways. So you know, looking at pushing versus pulling, squatting versus hinging, things like that, to determine what I might need to prioritize in their training. So um, you know, that's the, the the whole point of the assessment is to figure out where to start. It gives me kind of a starting point, and it gives me something I can reassess later to determine how effective that that training uh, that training block was. So um, that's that's kind of in a nutshell what's going on and, and Jeff and Anna please ask questions as we go through this if anything pops up too um, you can basically ask questions for any listener that probably is thinking <laughs> about that as they're going through um, and I don't know about you uh, Amy if you have anything to add on that on kind of how you like to, to start or what conceptually what you think of when you're assessing a new client not necessarily a patient yeah I mean pretty much what you just said yeah. just trying to figure out what their goals are and what we have to do to help them reach that in whatever capacity it is for sure, for sure. Um, and I think. I want to repeat that just because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Amy's over in the corner hanging out. <laughs> yeah, get, get a little closer. Yeah. So just. The answer uh, was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just trying to make sure that we're um, figuring out how to to best tailor whatever we're going to do to the goals that they have, like the end goal in mind. So like short, and I would say short term and long term goals too, because um, those can make a difference for somebody whether or not they're like trying to compete immediately or maybe they have a goal of that like long term. Um, yeah. For sure. I think that's super important, too, because if somebody's the where they are in their life cycle or their fitness journey, they might have aspirations to compete relatively soon because, you know, life dictates that they have this window of time where they can devote a lot of time to training. And, and it might be that you feel they would be better off spending a little bit longer you know, amount of time developing a little bit better base or more of the basics prior to getting into more things that relate to the competition space, but that might not fit in their timeline. Um, and that can be uh, a tough conversation to talk to somebody. It's like, hey, I really think we need to spend more time doing this type of stuff, but I know you know, you're talking about in, you know, you're stationed here for a little bit longer. After that, you're, you're going to hopefully start a family, yada, 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 whatever it might it is, the, the, it, their timeline could be different. So I think a thorough consultation is where all this starts, but then we get into more of the designing, well, what are we going to look at assessment wise, I think number one, it has to start with movement, right? I think um, for me, I want to see how the person's moving before I really worry about how much I can load that movement or how well they can load that pattern. I kind of want to see what it looks like first. So I do have a, a movement assessment I go through and I don't want to spend too much time on that because I know a lot of people listening are clinicians, um, but it very, it's very... SFMA based for me, you know, I do look at a lot of those type of things, whether it be a patient or a, a client, um, and then also the move, the patterns that they're going to get into in the sport. So I want to see what their squatting pattern looks like, what their hinging pattern looks like. I want to see what pushing looks like, both horizontal and vertically. I want to see what pulling looks like, horizontal, horizontal and vertically. Um, I do have some baseline. Um, 
basically like trunk stability, I guess you would call it testing in there um, that that I think I also have implemented in the clinic a lot too. So I look at things like uh, Sorensen holds um, or uh, glute bridge holds and the Sorensen's not able to be really performed well. It could be side plank, side to side, forearm planks, kind of looking to see where they are. I'm looking at their hollow body position, looking at their arch position, you know, basically these, these things that I think are prerequisites. And so all those are included in the assessment. And I'm also doing those things kind of in the beginning of the assessment or kind of if you consider this a multi-part process those are happening before I look to see what's their max back squat right uh, for me I just say you know if I look and uh, you know their sorns and hold is super poor it's just you know not where I would want it to be and, and they're not able to you know doesn't seem like they can brace effectively I'm probably not necessarily going to also test their max deadlift right and, you know I might be thinking that might not be appropriate uh, so I'm kind of trying to piece that together um, and, and that's kind of where I start step one with this is how are they moving and then you know where are we on some of these uh, stability type things um, additionally what I'll do in that kind of I guess phase one is also look at some unilateral stuff and I start there a lot of times with people I want to look at what's a split squat side to side I want to look at what's a single arm pressing side to side because uh, again if, if I don't necessarily want to ask them to go and do a max back squat if we have this significant discrepancy side to side on a like a split squat. So um, I kind of in that, that, I guess you would call that more of my phase one assessment. It's more looking at movement and then more, I guess, like trunk stability type testing stuff and then some unilateral stuff. And I would say like that for me is like the base of where I start before I get into any of the higher level stuff. Uh, higher level stuff. What are your, your thoughts on that, Ames? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I do the exact. I do the exact same thing. Um, one thing that I've started to throw in is uh, a farmer carry, um, mm -hmm. like a heavy farmer carry, either for time or distance too. Um, yeah. That's one that I didn't do initially. That now, you know, since we love Dan John. Yeah. So, 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 what, so what are you trying to assess with that? Yeah, I mean that obviously that looks at a lot of stuff. So we could call that trunk, but we could also call it grip or just um, you know ability to carry your groceries. Yeah, right. Like a, almost like a work capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Do you um do you dose it like based on body weight? Like have them use a set weight and, and then look at either distance or time after that, or do you have how do you how do you go about dosing that when you're or, or creating that assessment? Um, what did I do? I did this with my client quite a, a while back. I think I just gave her like, um, you know, I want this. I, I think I gave her an RPE actually with it. Mm -hmm. and that's what I was shooting for. Yeah. Um, then I, I think I gave her like, uh, uh, I want to say 30 meters, 30 yeah. meters and just a specific RPE for it. Um, and, and, then we what that loading yeah, was. and then we reassessed from there. Nice. Yeah. And I think a new one I'm adding in too, after our talk with Haley, um, earlier, um, on the podcast, I guess that was last episode, right? Mm -hmm. Last episode, two yeah, episodes last episode. Ago. Um, the all about uh, gymnastics, all yeah, about gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. It was a great episode too. But the uh, that active shoulder hold, you know, um, something else I haven't ever put in there, right? Like a lot of times, I'll test, you know, as part of this is what we'll get into. I'll test thirty muscles for time on people. I'll test, you know, up to upwards of a hundred chest to bar for some of these people that come to me that are these higher level athletes. But you know, I probably should have more of a phase one testing for that, mm -hmm. where a phase one type of, uh, of assessment being, you know, being able to hold that active shoulder position for, mm -hmm. for long enough, right? Be able to show, demonstrate that they can even control it because um, they might have just been, you know, developing this capacity in spite of that. And if I don't do something to, to address that, I could be setting them up for failure or injury down, you know, long term. So that's a new assessment I'm probably going to start including a little bit more. Um, I got a lot from that, a lot of nuggets from that episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, go listen to that mm -hmm. one. But um, so that's kind of that's kind of where I start first, and then I get into more of like 
the meat and potatoes of like when crossfitters come to me and they can hold a plank, a side plank, a Sorensen hold, they, their split squat looks fine. Um, they probably don't do enough unilateral training anyway, but they aren't, there isn't a, a big discrepancy side to side. They, you know, they're, they're checking most of these boxes. Their movement looks pretty good. They maybe been doing it a couple years in their gym. They've had some decent coaching there. Things are good. Um, then it gets into more of like what I, I like to talk about, like crunching the numbers and, and the meat and potatoes of the assessment. And that's where I'm actually going to build two one RMs if they can do so safely in a lot of different things um, because that gives me so much information. So um, just off the top of my head, I don't have a list in front of me of things I'll run through. I'll run through a back squat, I'll run through a front squat, I'll run through a, a power clean, I'll run through a full clean, I'll do a power snatch, I'll do a full snatch, um, I'll have them do a strict press, I'll have them do a weighted pull up, I'll have them do a close grip bench press. Um, I'm gonna forget something now that I'm rattling off, I'm trying to write this down on the whiteboard as I go. Um, but you kinda get the gist, I'm hitting a lot of these these things. I'm hitting one RMs if they can do so safely, right? I've already established one, they move well, um, I've already established that they have some base level of strength and, and, and capacity in some way before I'm loading them up in this in this pattern. Um, and, and two, also in their exercise history, in our conversation with them. I know that they've built, a lot of times they know these numbers. Crossfitters that come to you, they know their max everything, right? They, you can, they can spit out workout times that they did three years ago on something, you know? It's just kind of ingrained because it's such a part of, of who they are a lot of times. So I'm building a lot of these things. Again, back squats, front squats, um, power cleans, full cleans, jerks. I did mention jerks. I'll also put a clean and jerk together. Um, again, push and pulling, so strict press and close to your bench press, hitting weighted pull-ups, all of those kind of things, right? Um, and, and that for me is important to hit that wide spectrum. You might think that's a lot of stuff, right? This isn't a one-day thing. So if someone comes to me that's a little bit of a higher level individual, uh, I'm probably going to take a little bit of time doing this. Now, I've gotten a little bit better about trying to utilize recent testing numbers if they already have them, right? Um, or if it's something I can get away with not testing right away, um, I'll try to just because sometimes these, these weeks can drag on a little too long. Um, so, so I'll try to, to combine things if I can or pick out the main priorities I want to look at for that person. Um, but then I'm going to use this data to, to you know, assess where they are relative to the sport because we have ton of data points on these different things in the sport, but also um, uh, you know, within themselves as an athlete and balance within themselves. Um, so is there anything, before I talk about kind of what I'm looking with these different things, is there anything that you add, Amy, on any of these, uh, uh, anything else you'd like to test here? Deadlifts. Oh yeah, I didn't even mention death. Good oh. lord, that's that's why you always come prepared with notes. Don't <laughs> don't wing it. You you'll forget some deadlift, of course. Yes, one hundred percent. And I already mentioned some unilateral stuff. So like single arm uh, pressing. Uh, look at um, rear foot elevated split squat. Those are all. Um, those are, those are kind of the unilateral pieces I'm testing there. And we mentioned the trunk stability um, stuff step too. Up. Yep, step up. I, I haven't done like many loaded step ups, but I do have like step-ups included in my movement assessment of just how it looks side to side yeah yeah um yeah i i don't know that i've tested loaded step-up but i also don't know that that would be a bad idea yeah yeah you know? i don't think it can't hurt right i think yeah. you're probably getting a lot of information it probably gives you a little bit more information maybe than the split squat in terms of like their ability there's like a stability component mm -hmm. but from a loading standpoint probably more limited there because mm -hmm. there's a higher uh, you know uh, a little bit more of a freer um so for, i guess a freer pattern um versus the split squat kind of being a little bit more set um 
it's a little less dynamic. So I think I, I typically use split squat because I can compare that to body weight, like we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. but. And then with this uh, deadlifts in particular, like obviously we could test like one RM. I've also my uh, my coach te tested eight RM at tempo too, which mm -hmm. I thought was kind yeah. of interesting. Um, RDL, so a little different. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you can definitely build on. Um, build on this too in terms of like you know certain rep certain rep maxes or adding yeah. tempo in different ways yeah. um for, yeah. uh, you know so you look at like neuromuscular efficiency based off of that and things yeah, like that. yeah 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 so that's that. that's a whole another thing that and do you still do the power raise too do you still do that shoulder so i do that as part of I sh that is part of more of the unilateral stuff okay side yeah, gotcha. to side. Yep. Gotcha. so i'll have i'll test as part of that too i probably should have mentioned that so i should have prepared man put me on the spot um <laughs> I, I will look at in addition to like single on pressing i will look side to side at some different like shouldered scap strength mm -hmm. stuff like uh, in, in how well they can perform things like uh, a, a dumbbell dumbbell external rotation on each side like the elbow on the knee I'll look at a power raise um, which is basically like a sideline horizontal abduction um, kind of thing uh, power raise uh, I'll actually look at like what I call a trap three raise, which is basically like a scaption raise with uh, a little bit of a forward inclination of the torso. But again, looking at those side to side, and those obviously aren't one rep maxes. So those, I look at like the the heaviest eight they can do at uh, a three zero one zero tempo. So like a, a you know making sure they're controlling it. Um, and so I'll look at, at heavy eight on either side. Like what's the most they can do at that tempo and still look good um, for those. The, then I have the, the rear foot elbow split squat and press obviously aren't um, you know one RMs either. For me, for those, those yeah. are also eights. Yeah. You know, I wanna see you know how, um, how they look side to side with more of like an, an eight rep at tempo kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so that's a good point. I do do some shoulder stuff there too. Um, and I'll probably as we go through this, remember more and more things that I also do that mm -hmm. I didn't say. Josh, do you ever look at like aerobic capacity with these athletes? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, we are just on the strength portion of this continuum. <laughs> okay. There's a whole other side of this that is um, you could be breaking it down to kind of what be energy system testing, and then a whole other th kind of side that's just gymnastics testing for these people. Um, so, so it is that's part of what makes this such a long process. Sometimes is it, you know if I can use their recent numbers, if I can use their recent open, if I can use different things to help do that to shorten this process, great. Um, but if they haven't tested some of these certain things in a little while I might give it to them um, and, and we're definitely going to be seeing where they sit on the entire continuum from an energy system standpoint you know from you know something as, as much like how much power can they generate in 10 seconds on a bike all the way up to like a 60 minute row or even I've, I have some like 90 minute AMRAPs that I've given to people for certain certain types of athletes that are that long um, and a gymnastics standpoint like I mentioned is also going to be uh, an area that will assess you know chest bar capacity toes bar capacity muscle ups that kind of thing because the sport's just so varied that there are a lot of different tests in that realm too but yeah for sure this yeah we're only on the uh the strength aspect thus far and that's a, a big aspect of it um and that can be tough when trying to implement the, this into a uh, a full a full-on program like how do you when do you test what we can get to that too but amy you want to add amy no that's all i can think of right cool. now so when i test these one arms with people um Without not even talking about the neuromuscular efficiency stuff, we'll, we'll get into, we can get into that too a little bit. Um, I'm looking at uh, some ratios here. I think ratios can be important. They're not the end all be all, but I think they can give you big glaring red flags. So when, if I look at if I think about my list here, I've got deadlift, back squat, front squat. That's kind of like my first three I've got listed here. If I make the back squat 100, 100 percent, 
For me, a balanced CrossFitter, that deadlift needs to be more like 125%. It needs to be heavier than the back squat. Does it have to be exactly 125? No, but if someone comes into me and I test both these things and they're you know they're a higher level CrossFitter and their back squat, they, they just hit 400 the other day and I test their max deadlift and it's 405, we've got a little bit of a problem there. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, something that that's like an immediate like oh my gosh i can't you know we should never deadlift or do any crossfit workouts so we fix this but in my mind i need to probably have a little bit more of a a a hinge focus in in my programming again assuming there isn't a technical limitation on these i'm assuming that it's not movement related and it's not just like their deadlift is their technique is poor they try to shift into their quads and they're basically trying to to squat the thing up and i just need to teach them how to use their backside a little bit more or something like that assuming that tech technique looks good i would like to see a heavier deadlift than back squat so if somebody a male crossfitter comes in they back squat 400 pounds they better be deadlifting 500 pounds to kind of put that into perspective there um you know if i get a female crossfitter that comes in and they're they're squatting 200 they should hopefully be deadlifting at least 250 that kind of thing um that's kind of my first ratio that i hit there and then from a front squat standpoint for me i like to see more like 85 percent of uh that back squat um Again, if, if someone can front squat basically their their back squat, that might, that might be a tech, technical uh, situation. Maybe they are their their positioning on one of those is not great, um, but also it could indicate if someone is you know you'll see like a pattern of their front squat is really close to their back squat, which is really close to their deadlift, and it might just be that they're they're really great at using the quads. And so that's why their front squat's pretty close to their back squat when they're a little more upright, and their deadlift's pretty close to their back back squat because they're not really able to 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 sit back and utilize their hamstrings, glutes, and everything else. So maybe I need to prioritize, uh, you know, more of a again posterior chain focus in that instance. So you see that pattern, like patterns like that develop where someone's front squat is close to their back squat and their deadlift is not much more, um, or something like that. Um, so those are kind of like my my big three lower body exercises there that I'm kind of looking. I want to see your back squat be more your front squat and deadlift more the back squats pretty i feel like pretty straightforward for most people uh, but you know that is just testing again one rms there off of that for this sport we really do need to have um olympic lifting uh capacity we need to have uh, the ability to express this strength quickly through the olympic lifts and so for me i test power clean and power snatch because it reduces more of the technical demand to determine um, where that relates to more of these absolute strength numbers so if we think about this on a continuum you know the deadlift back squat front squat being more absolute strength the power clean and the power snatch being more of what we consider strength speed um, i want to see that as a certain percentage of those absolute strength movements so again back squat's still 100 i'd like to see somebody be able to power clean two-thirds of their back squat um if they again barring any immense technical difficulties right if someone has uh, you know technical limitations with the movement then it's hard to make this comparison i'm talking about somebody who comes in who already is proficient in these movements uh, and then and their power squat i want them to be able to power power snatch i want to be able to power snatch at least half so i put 51 percent. i want them to be able to at least power snatch half their back squat so again if that crossfitter that comes in the male crossfitter squats 400 pounds like they should be able to snatch at least 200 power snatch 200 pounds um, again barring some type of technical limitation if they can't, and it's not something that I look at visually, and I'm like, okay, this just person just doesn't know how to snatch. Uh, I'm, I'm using that as a comparison, like, uh, do I need to prioritize absolute strength, or do I need to prioritize a little bit more of like a strength speed or, or, or a, you know, generating power in their in their training program? Um, so if somebody comes in there, their power snatch is 250 or 260, um, and they don't back squat 400 pounds. My 
thing. I don't need to really worry about developing power in that person. I need to get that person stronger, right? I need to build up their squat strength because their limita- limita- limiter in that instance, assuming, again, technique looks good, is probably that you're just not strong enough to get any, to, to be able to develop any more force and develop that force quickly to snatch more. Um, so for me, I'm trying to look at that as a comparison of like where they are absolute strength-wise and where they are strength-speed-wise. So like more of a, an easy comparison is like strength versus power. They're more powerful than they are strong? Are they more strong than they are powerful? Um, and you can use use cleans and snatches to, to look at that and I do power variations for that because uh, it takes away uh, it, it, it reduces another variable um, it, it takes away the complexity of the the clean and snatch uh, to, to make it a little bit of a cleaner comparison uh, so I want to see can they power clean at least two-thirds of that back squat and can they um, uh, power snatch at least half their back squat um, kind of initial thing most of the time like that if for a proficient crossfitter um, that's usually not an issue they're usually not that they can't they rarely do they do I come on to somebody who's been doing crossfit for a while that has also included Olympic lifts in their training not able to do that it's usually somebody maybe that's a little bit newer doesn't have the technique Technique, um, or just you know their essence as an athlete might be that they're just stronger than they are powerful. Um, so typically, that just kind of confirms that I probably just need to get this person stronger. But um, anything you want to add on kind of those? Wait, wait. So mm-hmm. take on point. Take on point. If you cannot power snatch half your body weight, yeah, it, yeah. power clean three quarters. Then the two, you, you two thirds. Two thirds. Sorry, two yeah. thirds. You, you need to. Hire Josh or Amy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Winning yeah, yeah. Um, but, but Always be branded. Oh, yeah. Always be branded. Um, no, but for, for, for real, that hopefully should make sense to somebody. Unless, you know, again, that's why this assessment, though, is so much for a crossfit, right? You don't need to power snatch to be fit, right? Or to do a lot of different things. You don't have to ever do that. I don't have my baseball players that come in here doing power snatches, right? You know, it's like it's not necessary for everyone. We're talking about a very specific population. And in that population, I'm using relevant movements to the demands of their sport to help help me tease out what I need to prioritize. Um, so that might be something like if somebody is, is significantly lower than what I want them on those more, those those Olympic lifting type movements, then that's gonna have a bigger priority in the training program. And that's the whole point of this assessment is to drive training. Um, so it helps us tease out, well, what are we gonna prioritize in our next block of training? Um, so so I'll, I'll hit those power variations there. I'll also test the full clean and full snatch as well. And as I mentioned, clean and jerk. Um, for those, a lot of times there's there's technique limitations there. So it's not necessarily a great assessment of um, like true just number to number. A lot of times I'm doing that and I'm looking at what the numbers are, but I'm really trying to assess like what does it look like? What do we need to address? Is it something where you know there's a, a technical limitation that's, that's not allowing them to express the strength that they have uh, in, in those patterns? So I'll test those too, but I'm using using more the the raw numbers of the power clean and power snatch to, to compare to more of that back squat. Yeah, uh, yeah I said body right, I meant back squat, my bad. Yeah, you know, <laughs> no, you're good. Um, yeah, so so then um, you know I get I do the same thing kind of thing in the upper body too. So I, I look at like a vertical pushing and pulling pattern mainly because the sport of CrossFit has such a vertical pushing and pulling component. You think about all the overhead barbell work, think about strict handstand push-ups, kipping handstand push-ups, overhead, uh, you know, walking lunge. It you know, just everything is going up overhead. Um, handstand walking, um, and then the the pull-up component and the bar muscle component that continuum. Um, so I'm comparing a strict pull and, and or a strict press and a weighted pull-up. Um, so when I do that comparison there. Um, for me, again, the number is two-thirds is a good way to, to think about it. But that weighted pull-up number is body weight plus external load. Um, and that's a cumulative number there. And I do that for a couple reasons. Um, because first, um, 
if you lose weight, it can still pull the same amount of, or if you, sorry, if you're gaining weight, if I'm working with an athlete and they're gaining weight and their weighted, their weighted pull up external load score doesn't go up, that doesn't mean that their pulling hasn't improved, right? There's more than one variable on board there. Um, so for, for me, I like to, to use as a cumulative number and the, the strict press number should be, you know, hopefully about two thirds of whatever their weighted pull up total score is. So if somebody can press, um, 200 pounds, their strict press is 200 pounds. Uh, again, as a, a, say using a male CrossFitter as our, our avatar here, that, that way to pull up cumulative score needs to be 300, right? So if it's a 200 pound male and they have a 200 pound strict press and they can't wait to pull up 100 pounds, I probably need to prioritize a little bit more of some strict pulling in their program. Um, and it's just kind of a way to potentially determine, do I need to prioritize something? Um, for me, I'm a very big believer. I pull a whole lot more than I push in the training programs. Um, I think we're all kind of on board with that. Um, and, and some people have ratios, two to one, four to one, whatever it is. Um, I, I just in general have a, a more pulling than pushing. However, if something like this indicates that I need to improve somebody's more upper body pushing, then I might be closer to a one-to-one. -one. I'm rarely ever more pushing than pulling, but I might have a little bit closer of a one-to-one -one ratio if I'm really prioritizing pushing in somebody's training program, but I'm never neglecting um, their upper body pulling in here. So I'll use that strict press and weighted pull-up vertical pushing and pulling uh, you know, comparison there to help determine do I need to maybe shift that ratio to, to add a little bit more pushing in or am I good prioritizing uh, pulling in their program? Weighted dip. I don't do a ton of that for a couple reasons. Um, mainly because I feel like so many people do a lot of dips without having great shoulder extension already and I don't want someone to load that pattern unless they really do have it. Um, I will explore that pattern with crossfitters that I feel like they're their limitation a lot of time is the dip. So muscle ups, they fatigue more on getting out of the bottom of the dip than other things. I might explore that more. I don't have it in my initial assessment on that. I do on um, most people, primarily just because I feel like a lot of times their bottom of a dip position just isn't great. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how I went. Do you do like just like like a strict dip at tempo ever? Like um, I, yeah, so that is part of um, before I'll get into more dynamic pushing a lot of times, I'll put that in there. Yeah, so I'll do kind of the same thing, like a three second down, uh, tempo down and I'll look like can they perform you know uh, you know that safely prior to where I get into more dynamic stuff so like uh, uh, you know when somebody want, tells me they want to do a muscle up I want to make sure that they can do tempo dips before I even think about doing that yep um, so that's definitely something that that fits in there different uh, in different ways I don't necessarily have like a number I want to get with it yeah I think so so I've seen some things where having you know like you know having males having a third of their body weight uh, as external load and females having 20% of their body weight as external load and being able to perform three tempo dips with that is a good rule of thumb prior to getting into like you know kipping dips um, I've seen that used um, I, 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 I wouldn't say like I have a hard and fast rule uh, it's kind of I guess more of a gut feeling I'm like one does this person have the motion that I feel like they can do dips you know, the way I want them to do it. And then, you know, I'll probably load, I will go through tempo work and load it a little bit, and then I'll probably progress into more muscle up stuff later on. You think you'd be better tested on dip bars versus the rings? Yeah, I, I would say if they can't perform it on dip bars first, um, I, I would, yeah, I wouldn't jump to the rings. I think adding, you know, the bars removing like that, that extra stability component there, I think is a good, uh, a good way to see where somebody is on it. Um, and then if they, you know, are able to quote unquote pass that part, then I'll probably progress to, to the, the rings because it adds more of a stability part to it. Um, but 
the problem with dip bars a lot of times is people don't grab them in the right spot. They grab so wide on because you know they make those dip bars where like again the, fit, the handles fade out a little bit and they do that so it can accommodate a lot of people. But the problem is people grab from near the ends when they really don't need to grab near the ends of it. Um, a, a good rule of thumb there is your your width should be about the same distance of the tip of your finger to your elbow. That's called a cubit. Is what that that is. Uh, um, what's termed it so you know one cubit for you is about how wide you need to be on your on the dip bars for it to be appropriate for your body size so i would set your rings up or your your dip bar figure out on there like where to grab on it so that way you're in the right position Mm-hmm. Never heard of that. Cubit, yeah. Um, I don't remember where I got that. And you know, I could be talking out of my ass right now. But that, <laughs> that, I, I swear that I've used that for years on how to judge and um, judge how wide somebody should grab. And I cannot remember for the life of me of where I heard that the first time. It's been years now. Um, but yeah, cubit. You heard it here first. Um, the. But yeah, dips include. I think if if someone has aspirations to do higher volumes of muscle ups, dips have to be a portion of what you're going to do. I think it's just more of a further breakdown of their movement pattern. Because um, especially, I get a lot of males that come to me that have a background of doing more bodybuilding type stuff, but prior to getting into CrossFit, and they just do not have great extension, and yet they're just pounding dip after dip after dip, and it's just like this gross forward shoulder position that just. Ugh, it, it's hard to watch sometimes uh, and they get away honestly they get away with it on the rings because they can adjust where their hands are and so they can get they can get away with it but then you put them on a bar where they're fixed and it like really shows so i do think that's a, a good as, a assessment for sure um, yeah um and then I'll, te- I'll test close grip bench stuff um there's some interesting data um OPEX and James put out some stuff for, for males. I don't know if there's a female comparison about your close grip bench and your weighted pull-up total score being close. Um, he also has some some data of like what your single arm, shoulder, and scap testing should be relative to your close grip bench. Um, I don't necessarily have numbers I, I run that I'm like just so set on like, yes, that's that's a great comparison. Um, I have I, I kind of take that number and then is it in the ballpark of where I think it should be? So I'm a little more subjective on where that fits into my assessment because horizontal pushing is typically not a huge component of CrossFit in terms of maximal loading. It's a lot more of like body weight work, so how many push-ups we're doing or um, burpees or things like that versus it being uh, you know tested maximally in that way. So I don't do a ton of bench press you know testing or comparison but um i do look at that um there's also some interesting stuff that james and them put out about your power clean and your close grip bench press being similar uh, and that being something that's like an indicator again more of like if this person's absolute strength versus like are they a little bit more powerful than they are strong so i think that's always just i take that number just because i think i'm curious about determining a little bit more of that um and there's also some stuff on like comparing that to like prone row stuff so like if you have a prone row set up like a true chest supported row that you can load up head with a barbell and go through that you could potentially have a comparison there um, but I typically my pushing and pulling I usually look at strength pressing versus weighted pull up and then I'm testing single arm pressing and I'm looking at comparison side to side but um, yeah so so that is in a nutshell more of the strength stuff that I'm looking at for a competitive crossfitter um, additionally when they're doing some of this strength testing I'm testing a little bit of neuromuscular efficiency and that is something that we've talked about on the podcast before um, and I think it's such a cool concept um, because it just shows you a little bit more about what's under the hood for somebody and how they're wired so um, if we take all five of us in this room we all test a max back squat and um, we we went down and did uh, one set of as many reps as possible at 85 percent 
we would all come up with vastly different results, right? Um, I know for me, I'm probably not hitting a hugely high number there. I'm, but I, it might be that uh, you know Anna or Amy comes out and hits you know eight nine reps with their 85%, something that you just look at, you're like, how did that just happen, right? Um, and and it, it, a lot of it is genetic in nature, um, and females tend to, you know, trend one way, and males tend to trend, trend another way as well. Um, so, but a lot of it is really kind of your underlying genetics, and it can be, you can work on it a little bit through training, and there's a whole episode on this if somebody wants to go back and look, and we'll probably try to figure out what that number is for you, but um, the way, what I'm, what I'm referring to here is, you know, how well your body recruits uh, are, are, you know, it's available motor units for maximal efforts. So we have this, you know, strength is a combination of, of, you know, these available motor units and the contractile potential and then your ability to actually recruit it, right? And some people are better at, at recruiting those higher threshold motor units. So if you think about turning a light bulb on, like some people can turn their light bulb on super, super bright. Some people can only turn their light bulb on a little bit, right? Just because of whatever it is, training, how they're wired, they aren't able to to recruit the those motor units available to able to, to, to perform that maximal lift. So if you think about it, it, it's not exactly like this, but in terms of a graph, like some people can actually hit close to their true 100%. Some people, no matter how hard they try, their maximal effort, their one RMs, they're not actually close to their true 100% or whatever their potential is based on their, their mass, right? Um, and so that plays a role in CrossFit because CrossFit is primarily more of how well can you perform sub-maximal weights over and over and over and over again. So I'll test this. So I'll have somebody build to a max back squat and then 10 minute rest from that last attempt and then as many reps as possible at a 3-0 X1 tempo at 85%. Right, so the, the tempo is just to try to control the standard because you know you might bounce out of the bottom and then rest for five seconds at the top for the next one. So I try to keep it standard there. And look at how many reps they get. And if someone only gets one to three reps there, right, a low number of reps, I'll consider that person a very high neuromuscular efficiency. So what does that mean? That means that somebody, that means their 1RM was probably a little closer to their true 1RM because when we went to 85%, they were still only able to do a couple reps because they really turn that light bulb on super, super bright. And so it, you know that, that is difficult for them to hit 85% because it, it's, it's more closely resemblant of a true 85%. If someone comes and I retest that and say they get you know five plus, right? We'll cut, say five plus reps at 85%. Say they got that same example, they got seven or eight reps at 85%. That's a lot of reps at 85%. I would consider that a low neuromuscular efficiency because that means that that person really didn't turn their light bulb on truly as bright as maybe their potential, their mass indicates that they should have been able to. So their 85% doesn't quote unquote feel like a real 85%. Right, because it's not actually 85% of what they can do. It's 85% of what they were able to recruit on their maximal effort. So that would consider them more of a lower neuromuscular efficiency. Those individuals tend to be the best CrossFitters. People who have a still, for being low neuromuscular efficiency, still tend to have a higher absolute max, even though it's not necessarily as bright as their light bulb probably could be turned on. They do well in CrossFit because that's the sport. The sport is who can do 350-pound deadlifts over and over and over again, right? Um, and so if 315-pound deadlift truly is like your 85%, like that high neuromuscular efficiency person, you're going to struggle with that. But if you're a low neuromuscular efficiency person and 315 is your 85%, I say that in quotes because of your maximal effort wasn't that much higher than that, but it's really not your 85% because of the way you're wired, you can rep that out 
out all day, right? And that's the person that's going to thrive in this sport environment. Um, and so for me, that helps drive training because it, imagine this scenario. You're going to get, you see this program all the time, five by five back squat, right? So, you know, if I have somebody getting five by five back squat at 80%, We'll just throw that generic prescription out there. Five by five back squat. And we've got two athletes here. We'll say it's Brandon and Tana, right? Um, Brandon's 80%, or Brandon will say is a high neuromuscular efficiency, right? Because um, he's just super, super strong. Right? Yeah, that's um, right. yeah um, so, so he only got two or three reps. We'll say three reps at 85%, right? So, you know, 80% for five is going to be a very, very challenging set for him, right? That makes sense, right? He only did three reps with 85%. It's going to be very challenging at 80% for five. And on the other hand, say she got six, seven reps, eight reps at 85% on her test. We consider her a little bit lower neuromuscular efficiency there. Again, lower not meaning bad. Higher and lower is not bad and good here. It's just lower neuromuscular efficiency. So for that, if I gave her sets of five at 80%, that's not going to feel near the same as it does for Brandon. Brandon, each set is going to be like, that was terrible. Felt like basically a five RM. I need to sit down for a few minutes. And I'll probably finish it and need 90 seconds, and then she'll pop back up and hit the next set of five. Right, because it's not nearly as taxing to her nervous system because she's not having to dig as deep to hit that number because of how her nervous system is wired. So, what does that mean for like a volume perspective with a you know with an athlete that has a lower motor neuron efficiency? Are you able to program at like a higher percent? Exactly, you got to take that into account because if I gave these two athletes the exact same training prescription and and I gave her gave both of you guys in this example the exact same. Squat program, quote unquote, squat cycle that everybody loves, you know, to hop on a new squat cycle, right? You're gonna have vastly different results because it's gonna stress you differently, right? Um, for for you in this instance to be able to still benefit from that same kind of prescription the way Brandon would benefit from it, I would need to increase the loading for the same relative volume. Right, because you, you, I would need to get to that point where that RPE or that reps and reserve is the way to kind of uh, to categorize it is where I want it. Um, versus, or I would need to um, increase total volume, keep the same. So I'd either need to increase loading per the volume that's prescribed, or increase total volume per the actual prescribed loading to get to the overall stimulus that I need. Right, because to create an adaptation, there's got to be a stimulus, and the stimulus has to be strong enough to drive adaptation. So if I am underdosing you, and in that instance, I would be under dosing you, you're not going to adapt to it. And so you get people who do, this is, comes to me all the time with female crossfitters a lot of times. They've come to me and they're like, I've been doing squat cycle after squat cycle and I've put on five pounds on my back squat in two years, right? And they're like, how is this happening? And it's because it's like one rep max at 90% or like doubles at 90% of their, their, their max, right? Well, 90% of their max for two is not hard for them, right? Quote unquote hard in terms of how it feels because they're lower neuromuscular efficiency in that instance. Not every female falls in that category, but say like that individual. So they could have done that 90% for two where Brandon and I would be like, shit, 90% for two, I need to sit down for five minutes, right? Um, they could have done that for five, you know, or something like that, right? So the actual stimulus or stress of each set wasn't enough. So they've been spinning their wheels in an instance because it wasn't a stressful or challenging enough prescription for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, on the other hand, you see people flame out on certain squat cycles because say they're lower neuromuscular efficiency and it calls for sets of five at 80% and then sets of five at 82.5% and then sets of five the next week at 85%. And it's like, bro, I, just, I can only do 85% for three reps. How am I gonna do five sets of five at that, right? Yeah. And so people burn out on it and they aren't able to complete it or they end up getting hurt because they're pushing loads that they're their nervous system isn't able to handle. Um, and so 
This plays a big role in terms of prescription, but also um, recovery as well. Mm -hmm. Because the people who can turn that light bulb super, super bright, mm -hmm. um, they need longer before they have to do that again. So if I ask Brandon to build Joe Max, and he hits, you know, it's 95%, 100%, right? It, 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 that's going to take a lot more out of him from a nervous system perspective than say I ask you to build to a max. Because for you, that that max, quote unquote, that 1RM, yeah. is from a nervous system perspective, is not that high. Does that, that make sense there? Yeah, so does that mean that there's like differences in their SRA curves as well? Or is that more so? Uh, like explain what you mean by... SRA curve, yeah. Uh, just like the recovery, like you know, like the ups and yep. downs of that recovery curve. Um, for, or do we not? Can we not? Yeah, yeah. So, that? so there's a lot that goes into recovery. We're just talking about from from a nervous system perspective. Okay. So, in terms of their ability to repeat that maximal effort, okay. there's definitely differences there. Um, in in terms of like general recovery, you're you're there's so many different variables in terms of gotcha. their their total volume performed, their the the amount of eccentric loading performed in the different um, the different type of prescription. So for you having to do higher volumes there, there's a, that would be inherently is going to have a higher, um, you know, quote unquote muscle damage or type of thing. Yeah. Your volume's just higher. The eccentric demand is higher. Gotcha. So, so there's a different type of recovery that has to happen from that. From okay. just like maximal expression in terms of a nervous system perspective, there would definitely be differences side to side. Um, and so that's why for me, I've got to think about how, when, you know, with this is like how I'm going to program for somebody is I need to, if that person is higher neuromuscular efficiency, you know, I need to be more conscious of how often I have them really building at those higher percentages because it takes much longer for them to be able to recover from it. Okay. For somebody who's lower neuromuscular efficiency, I have to be a little more conscious of making sure I'm not underdosing it because they, they actually would need a more stressful stimulus to drive adaptation. Um, yeah, so so it, it's and it's just one variable, right? I don't think that this is the end all be all variable, but it's it's definitely a unique thing that I like to test with people uh, to to kind of get an idea of what's under the hood. It's kind of always say is like how are they wired? Um, but it, it it definitely you know we all know that our nervous system plays a huge role in it, right? Like you know. Some days your 85% feels like 100%. Some days your 85% feels like 75%, right? Sure. And you're like, man, I feel great today. We all have had those days. More often it's like, man, I feel like shit today. Um, <laughs> so, But you, you know what I'm saying? Like we all know, and it's not that you all of a sudden, you go and test the same lift and it's less one day than another day. It's not that your muscle mass is different. It's not that your 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 potential is different there. It's just from a nervous system perspective, we're not we're just not all you know ready to recruit that that day. Um, and, and so, that has a lot of variables that affect it, but from a, a standpoint of like all else equal, doing some of these tests can give you an idea of how somebody's wired. Yeah. Anybody else head hurt? Boom. Uh, yeah. Boom. And so, so this we you know this is just the strength side of things of what I'll do with, with people. And so it, I'm, I'm trying to mix this into a session or to like a, a condensed time frame because I don't want to spend a month doing testing, right? Um, so you got to get creative, right? I might test power snatch and deadlift on the same day. I might test uh, power clean, back squat, and, and neuromuscular efficiency on, the, on on one day. I might have uh, the scap testing on the day I'm doing back squat stuff in between sets because it's not really taking away from it. Um, but I might be doing um, rear foot elevated split squat testing stuff on, when I'm doing maxes of strict press and weighted pull up. Like you're trying to figure out how can you get creative enough to fit this into a time frame where they're not each of the tests aren't taking away from each other because um, I can't do all this in one day. Um, but you don't want one test to be taking away from the ability to perform on another test. And the biggest thing, regardless of how you structure it, is that when you retest it, you retest it in the same way. So I'm always retesting back squat earlier in the week, deadlift in the end of the week, if that's how I did it the first time. Um, you know, I don't want to all of a sudden test back squat on day one if I tested it on day 
three of their week before because now it's not the same test. Mm-hmm. So my te- whenever I design whatever the testing battery is going to be with somebody, I'm just going to repeat that testing battery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, we've got to definitely got to uh, test and retest, right? Because mm-hmm. people yeah. are either going to want to win competitions, get their numbers to improve, or look good on Instagram. Yeah, right? it, you got to have two out of three. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> three yeah. It's um, going gonna to let you evaluate your training methods. Yeah. So, so real quickly too, Josh, before we sign off, because I know we got to get back to pages here in just a second. Um, resources for people wanting yeah. to dive in more to this, and also uh, you got spreadsheets, right? Mm-hmm. Is this something we can share potentially? For sure, I got I got some spreadsheets around. Um, we'll figure out how okay. we get those. Okay, okay. Um, reach yeah, out they're, to they're us. Send, send us a DM. All right. Yeah, yeah. I can get you a spreadsheet. But yeah, resource. I mean, a lot of my education is everybody knows I've said it on here is going through the OPEC stuff a long mm-hmm. time ago. Like the back when it was still OPT, um, that was that was what started it all, and then just expanding from there. The mixed modal in particular is very helpful. I just went through that. Yeah, yeah. They have some great resources. Mixed modal. Cool. Mm -hmm. They have some great stuff, man. All right. Awesome. Well, before we sign off, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, and tell your friends. uh, Follow us on all the socials, and that's where you can reach out and get a hold of us and spreadsheets. Yeah, spreadsheets galore, baby. And most importantly, Buy our T-shirts. We got yeah. enough sizes. Your to, spine is not out of yes, alignment. That's right. We got we got enough sizes to fit all your cubits. And yeah. rest assured that 100 percent of the profits go to us to buy whatever we want. Don't have to do that. We'll be back. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.